The following is a message from Hope Chapel in Austin, Texas. Now, here's today's teaching. Good morning, Hope Chapel. Yeah, come on, Jerry. Uh, my name is Gino Hildebrand, for those of you are guests. I serve uh, Hope Chapel currently as her, um, as her current senior pastor. Uh, and I'm going to introduce uh, our first senior pastor in just a minute. But um, uh, what I want to do before I say another word about well, let me, just, let me tell you a story, and then we're going to do something. Then Dan Davis is going to come up here and speak. Um, in 1990, almost 30 years ago, I was brand new to Austin and uh, the lead pastor of a church that was very broken. And uh, about six weeks into the gig, I walked out of my office into the hallway and um, looked around and realized that there wasn't anybody in the hall that I knew. And I had a panic attack. And said, what am I doing? I don't know these people. Anyway, um, uh, that uh, led me to call Dan. I'd heard of Dan by reputation. Uh, He, like he does, he took me in. He helped me to calm down and uh, face the facts and and do some some better work. Dan has been a mentor ever since. And so I would say that in in that period and then in other periods of my my life, uh, Dan has served to help me find my way just to help me find my ways. Not, not that, not that uh, I was you know, badly broken, but I felt pretty lost and pretty afraid. And, and Dan was a great mentor and a great father figure to me and a great shepherd. So um, if under his ministry, or you've had that impact in your life as a result of Dan's ministry, would you just stand? Okay. Dan, we love you and we appreciate your work among us. More than you can know. So let's give Dan a hand. Come on up here, brother. down here because I've had too many times of nose dives off the platform and it's not fun. It is so good to see so many friends here. Thank you for coming. It's just been wonderful. I think I'm through. I'm going to go sit down. (laughs) Maranatha. Have you noticed that things are not the way they're supposed to be? Anybody notice that? Do you watch the evening news? How many of you have stopped because it's so depressing? (laughs) Our political systems are dysfunctional. Worldwide terrorism has become institutionalized. Mass shootings in our schools are now happening with great regularity. Fear and anger set the rhythm pattern for the opera of our lives. It's not just the political systems, it's nature itself. Our environment has become increasingly polluted. Our natural resources have been squandered. The impact of hurricanes, earthquakes, and other national, natural disasters seem to be coming with greater regularity. So then, how are things supposed to be? They're not supposed to be that way, right? Everybody agreed they're not supposed to be that way. So then, how are things supposed to be? Jesus defined his calling this way in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. 
He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to pro proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord, of our God, to comfort all who mourn. How many of you could use a little bit of comfort right now? I could. <laughs> to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And I contend that's what it's supposed to be. I don't think we're going to see that all fulfilled this side of heaven. We, he gives us this, this assignment, and there are things here where we see God do things. But where everything is the way it's supposed to be, that's ahead of us. And that's a wonderful joy that is ahead of us. It's that joy drags us forward through all the crap that we have, have to endure. That wasn't planned, by the way. <laughs> Aside from God's intervention, I believe that there is no hope for our earth. That's a pretty powerful statement. Aside from this interve intervention, there's no hope for our, our earth. If we're not looking forward to the coming of Jesus, then we don't understand. The coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus represents the fulfillment of what, he's, what he has intended to do from the very beginning. Aside from God's intervention, there's no hope. The imperative of Christ's return must drive everything else we do. It's the why of everything we do. It's the why. Christ coming it's not just our escape from history, but it's God's great resolution of history. Amen. All of history being drawn together. Christ, who died for the redemption of mankind, is now coming to claim us as his very own, and in the process he's making th all things right that were wrong. His intervention will be the promised return of Christ. When I committed to do this, this sermon, I started an informal survey of seasoned believers asking them what their thoughts were regarding Christ's return. Of course, all of them acknowledged, you know, this is what I'm hoping for and longing for. No, no, no casual response at all. Most of them also acknowledged that they really thought about it, that they were more preoccupied with the routine business of life. How many of you think regularly about Christ coming? Seems like the, the pressures of life push that out. And somehow the great hope that ties us, ties us to the future, ties us to the things that God has called us to, is in the back part of our mind. Another said, I don't recall hearing a sermon about his return in recent years. Now lest that be considered uh, a 
a blow against Gino only. <laughs> I can't remember ever preaching one. That's sad. One will even turn. My answer is stay away from anybody who purports to have an answer to that question. <laughs> the people who think they know that answer are, are, are bad news. My answer, Jesus gives us a clear answer in a couple of places, but particularly in the Gospel of Mark. He says, but concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Does that just about cover the basis? Yeah. Nobody knows. Say that. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming. I believe there are many similarities about second coming from the time he originally came. People, people didn't know when he was coming, but all, he laid all kinds of hints in scripture, but nobody could tie those hints together. It, you had to actually experience it in retrospect to find out what those things meant. We're looking for a Holy Spirit balance in our yearning for Christ's return. We're not going to quit our jobs. We're not to go out in the desert uh, camping, waiting for his return. We're not going to try to scare people into the kingdom out of fear of being left behind. You know, his coming is, is, is something of great joy. It's, it's something that draws people forward. It's not something that somehow we make these horrible <laughs> things about what it means to be left behind. Because my intention is I'm not going to be left behind. Anybody else here? Okay. Not planning on it? Okay, good. We want to await his return in unbounded hope. It's good that you came to Hope Chapel this morning. Because the rest of my sermon is pretty much going to be about hope. Almost all the scriptures that speak of his second coming all have hope as their theme. Have you heard the blessed hope? The blessed hope is him coming. That's, that's the hope that our whole, whole uh, Christian life is founded upon. Hope is on the same continuum with faith. Both are based on God's word. Biblical hope is a settled conviction of the truth of God's word. I see hope as a, as a settled mental state. Once you, get it, once you get it settled here, that hope can, can follow you, can lead you, as a matter of fact. There are a couple of passages about his second coming that I want to talk about. first one is in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. I'm not going to read them all here. But in there, Paul explains that all creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. The image is that we, God's people, and even the earth itself is in a birthing room, enduring the contraction of pain that will issue, issue us into a radical new dimension of existence. The book of Revelations clearly defines that as a new heaven, a new earth. Paul, in that passage, in verse 24, he says, 
For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he see, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's the attitude that we bring, hoping, hoping for that consummation where God draws all of history together in a beautiful package, and we're all part of that. The second passage is in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. It starts out, I, I think it's safe to assume that um, the first generations that lived in the wake of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension had made the assumption that he should have come already, but he hadn't come. So Paul is dealing with, if, if Christ made all these commitments about his return, then uh, why hasn't he come back? It's a reasonable question right now, isn't it? Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And asleep there means Christians who have died and are waiting for the next step. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, we're back to the subject of hope again. Hope is what, what draws us through all of these passages. And it's good that you should come to hope. <laughs> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Okay? Because of that hope, therefore encourage each other. Would you turn to the person, you know I was going to do this, turn to the person next to you and say, I am so happy that I have hope in this life. Tell them that. And the foundation of that hope is Jesus' return. There's no other foundation. We're, we're linked. In fact, I believe in some sense that the loss of hope in our culture is due in part to the fact that the Lord's return is not talked about more in our culture. I think it goes, goes beyond the church. I think it goes to the basis of our culture itself. One of the things that troubles me a great deal, and many people I know, including some Christians, is the low level of anger that seems to simmer so close to the surface. Have you found that to be true? The static about anger is just right there. It breaks forth with, with almost no love whenever we talk politics. This is true of folk on both sides of the political divide. I'm not making a political statement here specifically. And it's true for our secular and unbelieving friends as well. The foundational presence of hope in our world is essential for peace to reign. Peace has no place if you don't have hope. It's not something that you're reaching forward to. Then you're not likely to enjoy peace. With hope, without hope, 
we don't feel safe with each other. Can I be safe with you? Well, yeah, if, if I have some feeling that, that, uh, that we share a common hope somewhere, you know, if we can share that hope, then I, I think I can feel safe with you. Apart from our conviction of the imminent reality of his return, we have no basis for hope in this world. Hope is what provides stability in any society. This is a progression that I, that I see so regularly. Christ, uh, where there is no hope, fear is ignited. If I don't, if I don't have hope, I, I, there was a time in my life when I didn't have hope. I went through a process of having a nervous breakdown. And what happened during that nervous breakdown was that I lost hope. And when you lose hope, you look out, all you see is blackness. It tears your soul apart. We, so many of the kids that provide so much trouble is because they, lost, they don't have any hope anymore. There's not been that... And this, remember, hope has its, its origin in the promise of Christ's return. That is the basis of hope, it's Christ's return. We need to be really committed to seeing his return take place. Because in that, it changes our mental attitude. It changes the way we treat each other. There's a French Pentecostal named Louis Dallaire in 1946. I like it that he's French, but I also like it even more that he was a Pentecostal. <laughs> he came up with a pattern for what he saw needed to take place in terms of Christ's return. The first one is Christ's desire for a great harvest. Do you all know that that's what Christ wants, is a great harvest? So anything we, we, when we talk about the return of Christ, if we cut that off, we've cut off a very vital foundation. The church must be continually committed to the harvest. Second thing he mentioned is Christ's prayer for unity, for the body to be one. And the third thing is God's promises to Israel being realized in whatever fashion God wants them to be realized. I'm not, I'm not gonna propose with those all today, by the way. <laughs> Hope has been on this track from almost the very beginning. Excuse me. We believe that within Pope Chapel, the Holy Spirit has been working on all these factors through the years. The first one is Christ's desire for a great harvest. Wasn't it beautiful watching the pictures of the, the people that we have in Turkey and other places? For a church this size to have the broad base of people involved in missions, you know, God has favored us in a, in a, in a significant way. And he's brought people to us who, who understand that this is part of, part of Christ's return, is us being able to touch Hindus. Uh, Muslims, other people. 
consider Hope Chapel's long history of commitment to missions, starting in Turkey with gifted leaders like Carlos Calderon, Jason Knox, Jose and Betsy Cruz, just to name a few. But I see a vibrant ring of leadership in the Hope Global team. People here at home that are organizing to make sure that, that this commitment to missions to reach other cultures actually is realized. Not to mention Robin and Isabel Smith, they are teaching just recently on making disciples who obey and quickly make new disciples. Then there's Gino's fresh initiative called the Dinner Church. You haven't heard much about it yet, but it's, it's great. It's going to lay a foundation for us reaching un, uh, unbelievers in a radical new way. Is that right, Gino? Yes, sir. That's what I hope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And then there's Steve Hawthorne's work with Perspectives Course, Seek God for the City, which and those which increased intercession throughout the nation, throughout the land. That foundation of prayer that Steve has led is something that hasn't, hasn't touched just Hope Chapel. It's, it's truly touched the world. Then there's Christ's prayer for unity. I have committed myself over the last 30 years to promoting greater unity among the pastors of Austin. Then there's Thomas and Amy Cogdell, who undertaken a major role in reducing the historical animosity between Catholic and Protestants over them past 20 years. Their marriage, the ministry they've started called Christ the Reconciler, Thomas forming and leading the Wittenberg Assembly for celebrating the Wittenberg Door thing, was a, was a major event in terms of the larger body understanding the need for correcting the damage that was wrought at Wittenberg, where Catholics and, and Protestants were so divided, where we have people who love Jesus on both sides of that line who can't talk to each other. It's really exciting to me that uh, my neighbors came. How many of you have neighbors that came here today? My neighbors came. <laughs> Just wave your hand back there, Charlie. And, Charlie and that's, I got a punchline here and I can't remember it. <laughs> What's your name? Pardon? Jane. Jane, that's it. When she first told me that, I was meeting them. I walk my dog by their house every day. And I was talking to her, and she, um, I couldn't remember, just like right now, I couldn't remember her name. And she says, him, Charlie, me, Jane. <laughs> they have been married for 61 years. But more importantly, the, for, to what I'm talking about right now, Every Sunday, he gets up and goes to the Catholic Church. Every Sunday, she gets up, when he gets back, takes the car, and goes to the Lutheran Church. 61 years. And that is wonderful. Do you understand what that means in terms of the kind of unity that we're looking for in the body of Christ? I celebrate you guys. I salute you. Next, we have 
issue of God's promises to Israel. Bob O'Dell has made a major investment in opening doors for dialogue between Christians and Jews, Israelis. Bob joined with an Israeli entrepreneur as a partner to form a successful high-tech venture, uh, basically an Israeli company. The company did really well, and after selling the company, Bob formed a number of relationships with Orthodox Jews. He has ongoing relationships with Orthodox Jews. The idea is I'm trying to pull them over and make sure they get our stamp before we do the things that really is going to benefit them. And he's, he's going at this from a very relational point of view. He's not going in with an agenda, saying you got to do these things and then, then you'll be okay. I find in all the work that I've done that when you start with trying to convince someone, you're not going to do that well. If you start with trying to understand someone, then you'll do much better. Bob's taken the approach of trying to understand this from, from a real relational standpoint, and he's doing it very well. I commend you, Bob. Okay, this is where the surprise comes. I, uh, I knew that I'd be too tired to continue from here, so I recruited someone else. <laughs> this is Sandy Pedrotti. Yes, Dan has been speaking to some of us about these themes for some months now, so I'm very pleased to continue where he left off. So I want to say that these three themes that he mentioned from this Frenchman, Louis Dallier, we see these things at Hope Chapel. And in my opinion and Dan's, this is a movement of the Holy Spirit, a significant move of the Holy Spirit to bring a great harvest in the city and in the nations from a fairly small church. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us about that, about the salvation of souls. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us about one church in the city, one church that is Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox together. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that convinces us that God intends to keep his promises to Israel, his first covenant people, that he is a God who keeps his promises. We know that in these areas we will be challenged and changed as the Holy Spirit continues to reveal to us the full mind of our Father. But we see, I see, and I rejoice in a work of our Lord God at Hope Chapel that has been here almost from the foundation and is continuing in the arena of preparing the earth for the coming of the Lord of hosts. His coming to claim his bride, to restore all things, to end wickedness and despair, to bring justice to the oppressed, and to receive the abounding love and tribute from every nation and tongue and tribe. I long for this day with a very full glory for the story 
of his glory, as Steve says. If you long with Dan and me, would you stand? We would like to pray. We first want to pray for any who have perhaps not felt permission to long for the second coming. Either it's just not been talked about, or if you were like me, you thought about it in your younger life, but got caught up in timetables and schemes and maybe some bizarre ways of defining things that we think are still left in mystery. And so you stopped thinking about it. I bless you with permission to think about and long for the coming of our Lord. Or, or perhaps you felt that desiring his coming is not something that he wanted you to do because it would interfere with the work he's called you to do on earth for him. Rather than fuel that work with an unquenchable passion, I bless you that the gifts that you have and the calling that you have would find its fullest meaning in preparing for his return. Perhaps you've felt that his coming in glory is simply too far away to long for it. I bless you with abundant oil in your lamps, like the ten wise virgins, to go out at midnight, at dawn, at midday to watch for your bridegroom and rejoice when you see his approach. Father, I pray with my brothers and sisters at Hope Chapel and many who have come outside of hope, our Lord Jesus deserves a bride who is longing for her bridegroom. For what bridegroom wants a bride who is not? Father, we ask for your longing, the longing that you have in your heart and no other. You are very patient with us, patient with the whole earth, but you have a day in your heart. It is your day. Grant us a desire and a revelation to work for that day. Show us how we can. Give us even the spirit and power of Elijah to do this, to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord of hosts. Maranatha, the spirit and the bride say come. Now, we would like to end with another invitation and then a song. We, I am aware that some of us have been dwelling on this theme for some time and would even call our calling to be to prepare the earth for the second coming of the Lord in glory. If you are one of those, would you come forward with me down here at front? Because Dan is going to pray a blessing on us. Lord, as I look around this circle, I know most of these people, and I know that they're here because they have made this commitment. Mm -hmm. 
So this is, this is not new. What we're doing is praying a blessing on something that's been ongoing. I pray that God would give you an incredible sense of endurance, a capacity to speak and continue to speak and not be afraid. I pray that you would, would find encouragement in each other. I pray you'd be able to join together, and this would be a, a, a community of people who, who covenanted together to see a transformation take place and to see our Lord Jesus come again. Amen. Lord, it's coming, you're coming in your time, but we're, doing, we're trying to do our part, Lord. So we're in the process of making sure. Now, right, I, now I pray for each one of you in the name of Jesus. Actually, I'd like to go around touching all your heads, but I, I think I'd fall down doing that. So. <laughs> Touch yourself on the head. That would be it. <laughs> I love you all. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hug everybody here. We're going to sing this hymn one more time together. Stand if you're able, please, and join us. Let's sing it together.
I just want to say that if any of you would like prayer because you might not understand how you could use your gifts to prepare the earth for his return, some of us could pray for you. Not that we know that, but we think this is a revelation of the Holy Spirit and we would pray for you for it. But I also want to say, Mark Proger, can I pray for you? Because the Lord has, I think, given me a word for you. Would you come up later? Okay. I want you to pray for the whole congregation that that this would our hearts would be open to these things. There was in my mind, there was those that got it and maybe some of us that don't. Mm -hmm. Okay? OK, so I don't want that. I don't want to walk out. I'm, I'm the senior pastor and I want the whole group to get it. Amen. OK, so pray for it actually makes me very nervous to to move. It does by the gifting that I have. Like yours, Gino, I think, as an exhorter, it makes me very nervous to move without the whole body moving with me. I feel the greatest strength when I move in one accord. So we, some of us, have dwelt on this for 10 years. And Gino is right when he says, when he asks me to pray, so I pray, Father of us all, we all love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we welcome at a deeper and deeper level the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe it belongs to the Holy Spirit to prepare the earth for the second coming. I believe the Father has given this to the Holy Spirit to do for the Son. It reflects the love in the Trinity. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for more of you. We ask for a deeper and fuller revelation that we can indeed use our gifts to prepare an earth, which is a bride for a bridegroom, a unified bride, a bride that is made of people far outside our city and far outside our country. And there's not one corner on the earth from which the bride will not come. The invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb goes to the furthest corner to every tribe and tongue and nation. And the Lord wants them at his wedding supper. And he wants a bride who does not look at another part of herself and reject her as not part of the bride. And he intends, because he is a God who keeps his promises, I am deeply assured of this, he intends to reveal to those of us who are Gentile sons and daughters, he intends to reveal to us his enduring love and his longing to keep his promises to Israel his first covenant people, our elder brother, into whom we are grafted. And so I know these are big themes, and maybe we don't talk about them much, but I pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit. What is of you, lift it up. Shine your light on it. Where there is light, let your light shine brightly. 
and help us all at all our individual levels. You know where we are, you know us. Help us to move together as one. We ask for your help and we trust you because no one who asks for your help is ever left helpless. In Jesus' name. Okay, you heard the invitation. Come quickly, please, if you would like to be prayed for, and there will be teams of people up here to, uh, to answer your cry for help. Lord bless. Go home. We hope the Lord has used this recording to instruct, encourage, and inspire you. For more information on Hope Chapel or more sermons or seminars for download, go to hope.org. Thank you for listening.